0: Shotgun, Robinson to the right of Wentz, looking for the lead, handoff, Robinson cuts it up the middle, and they push the pile, in for a touchdown! It's a scoring bonanza!
1: 19 total points on Thursday night between the Commanders and the Bears. I think that was fewer than we had last week between the Colts and the Broncos. Meanwhile, I was watching West Virginia and Baylor with 83 total points. Peter King, there has to be a happy medium somewhere between Big 12 football and modern-day NFL football, which has set the offensive game back to the early 70s, man. When I first discovered the sport in 14-13 was a barn burner. We can't even get 14-13
0: anymore. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Mike. Well, the last two weeks, Amazon has discovered the, the – the, the massive wonder of Thursday night football in which all 32 teams at one point during the season must be on Thursday night. And Amazon had some treats early on because they wanted to get off to a fast start. And the NFL wanted to help Amazon get off to a fast start. Thus, obviously uh, Kansas city against the chargers you know to open it up and and you know obviously a couple of other good games but i think the most important thing to realize about this is that look you can't tell in 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 may when you put the schedule out who's going to have the best offense who's going to have the best whatever but you did know that whenever you put the chicago bears on it's a recipe for somenex and <laughs> you know quite honestly <laughs> Quite honestly, you know, they go against the Patriots on Monday Night Football. And for a long time, Mike, you know, Howard Katz and his scheduling team has understood you want to put the absolute dregs of the league on early. You know, because uh, you don't want to have a 1-13 in team on in the middle of December. So... You know, that is some of what we're seeing right now. You know, it's great for Amazon and for the Thursday night package to have some really good matchups, and it did. But you can't have all good matchups just simply because you've got to put every team on. And this is the reality, Peter,
1: I mentioned from time to time. Anytime you take a game out of the cluster of contests that we see on Sunday afternoon, there's a chance that when that game stands alone, it falls flat we don't notice it when there are 8 games and 3 of yeah. them have exciting finishes 5 of them can stink doesn't matter we're focused on the 3 exciting finishes so you roll the dice you see what happens but here's the reality and by the way this show's PFT live we're here on Peacock Series XM85 live on Sky Sports NFL so no no bad language from you Peter King you're a routine violator When it comes to dropping S bombs, you're dropping them all over the place live. So just be careful. Be warned. Today is not a day to do it. Uh, We still get exciting finishes. You put in the three hours, whether it was last week, Colts Broncos, or this week, Commanders Bears, you put in the time. There's at least a payoff at the end of the tunnel. You get an exciting finish. And we got one, even though I didn't expect one. Last night, I didn't think the Bears would, number one, get the ball back, and number two, do anything with it. So, hard to complain when when it's all said and done, you had a few moments that make you lean forward and enjoy what you're watching.
0: Well, Mike, I must confess, I did not stay awake. Um, How dare you? After the first series of the third quarter, uh, I gave up and I gave in, but... I will just say one thing last night about this game. I thought that early on in this game, I really thought Kirk Herbstreet made some really good points about Justin Fields. In that, you know, he talked about how Justin Fields uh, has some receivers open, NFL version of open, that he just was not throwing to. Those are the kind of mistakes that, look, he's a young quarterback. No one is saying that he can't do this. But those are the kind of mistakes that when you're a bad offense, you remain a bad offense unless you overcome them. You know, I think Justin Fields has to learn to take chances on receivers downfield in semi-tight windows, but clearly open enough to hit in the NFL That's a big takeaway I had from last night's game.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. Now, last night he didn't exactly have a lot of time, but they did show the stat that he holds the ball for 3.35 seconds on average. That's the longest that any quarterback in the NFL keeps the ball in his hands before letting it fly. By the way, I forgot to mention, and so that NBC doesn't forget to pay me, I need to say it's PFT Live presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. We did learn something, though, about Justin Fields last night. He is tough. No one can say that he is not a guy who is willing to take any and all abuse that comes his way. He got banged around all night. And, look, Peter, one thing that was odd to me, at a time when there's a concern that the NFL is overcorrected from Tuatonga vailoa to Teddy Bridgewater, who ended up being out for the game due to someone seeing signs of a taxi, the new buzzword that supplants gross motor instability. Justin Fields struggled to get up multiple times. And I know it may not have been a concussion and it was ribs or shoulder or whatever, but he was struggling so much to not even hear any conversation. At one point in the second half, they did have the obligatory shot of the sideline unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant watching video to make sure that Fields was okay. It never was brought up that maybe he was a little foggy because he got rocked at the goal line at one point early in the game. Here it is here. it's yeah, he actually did. third quarter. He got rocked. I mean, you could hear it. it. was one of those where they got the mics on the field, and it was, it was a pop, and – I don't know is he feeling the effects of that I just don't know but he was struggling so many times to get up at a time when we're now sensitive to that I was just surprised there was no conversation about the possibility that this is why he was on the ground for so long
0: uh, Mike I'm gonna say I'm gonna answer that in one second but I do want to just say one thing about last night okay let's let's be very honest. You know, Bears basically are brown and black. Am I right? Bears are brown and black. And the Chicago Bears have orange helmets, orange socks, orange shirts. Bears are not orange. I just wanted to make that point. And (laughs) and, uh, I don't know if anybody else noticed that, you know, crowing about these helmets last night. Anyway, Justin Fields and how much he was hit last night. I think you're right. And I hope that the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant last night uh, would have spent time both talking to Fields and also, you know, looking at the, the video of Fields. Because there were times last night, you know, especially when I saw the highlights this morning before our show, where he really looked like he'd been rocked. But the one other point about this as a larger issue... Is that I still don't know? Last week, you know what happened with Teddy Bridgewater. I don't know if you noticed, but on Monday afternoon, Channel Seven in Miami uh, put out a video. Uh, it was a a stream of what happened to Teddy Bridgewater on that first snap of the game, hit by Sauce Gardner, uh, deposited <clears throat> into the end zone, and. Teddy Bridgewater basically took a minute, but he got up and no one yet other than the UNC has seen any sort of um, whatever you'd call it, ataxia or, you know, gross motor instability. And that to me, I think the NFL really needs Mike to be very transparent with all of these things when they don't bring players out and when they do take players out. I agree with you completely, Peter, and that's the thing. Now,
1: we're conditioned to be watching and waiting and paying attention to where that balance is going to be struck because as fans and as members of the media who are in a position to be the liaison to the fans and help them understand what's going on, we don't know. And so we're trying to learn this, and it feels like everyone's trying to learn it in real time one game at a time. And I don't know where that balance is, but if whatever Teddy Bridgewater exhibited after getting hit and having his head hit the ground, the first snap from scrimmage, I believe it was on Sunday between the dolphins and the jets. If that's enough to get him shut down for the whole game, where does Justin Fields land on that spectrum? And was he checked on the sideline? And I don't think he ever went into the blue tent. If he did, it was never mentioned during the broadcast. That's the one moment. That's all we got to suggest that maybe something was amiss. The C word was never used at any point. I'm not being critical here. I'm just saying we're all trying to figure out where this balance is. And is the NFL overreacting, underreacting, reacting properly? It's now on our radar screen. So we have to factor that into how we watch the game. And look. Did I want Justin Fields to be out and Trevor Simeon to be in? No, I just want to be sure the guy's okay at a time when we are appropriately sensitive to the overall health and welfare of the guys who are getting hit repeatedly. And that's the bottom line. He was getting hit repeatedly last night. It can't have always been his ribs. It can't have always been his shoulder. You see his helmet get hit multiple times whether he's diving into the end zone or he's in the pocket trying to throw a pass and I do respect the fact that he just kept going and Peter I thought he was going to run in a potential game-winning touchdown in the fourth quarter I mean he was showing no signs of it not that we always see signs of it if a guy does have a head injury but when the Bears got the ball back after the missed field goal and I because I thought not they get the ball back it's not gonna matter well they're not gonna do anything with it they can't do anything against this defense but, boy, when, when Fields decides there to take off, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe you should break out to the sideline. That's not the play, so never mind. I think it's it's coming. It's coming. Patience is a virtue. I just rarely exhibit that specific virtue. Here's the play, first and 10 from the 46. He breaks to the left, and I thought he'd just try to get a first down and maybe get out of bounds, and he cuts it inside. And I thought, uh-oh, the clock's ticking here. They got no timeouts. But it doesn't matter if he makes it all the way inside the 10 and gets out of bounds. That was spectacular, and that set up this opportunity for the Bears to win the game. The only problem is they couldn't get into the end zone once they got into that tight territory. But that's what, that's what put us in a position to have an exciting finish. And th- there was a controversial moment. There's a lot of things we can talk about. You know, for as bad of a game it was, there's a lot we can talk about. And Peter, I don't know what you thought of this one. When you saw the highlight today, third and goal, Dante Pettis. Kirk Herbstreit was very dismissive of the possibility of pass interference. He said, I see two guys fighting for the ball. Yeah, I do too, and I see one mugging the other one before the ball gets there with his arm tied up and pulling him down to the ground before the ball's there. I know that at certain moments of the game, the officials stick the flag deeper into their pockets, but come on, man. He's impeding with the guy's opportunity to catch the ball.
0: That was definitely pass interference, Mike. There's no question about it. And the fact that they didn't call pass interference there, who knows if the, the Bears would have been able to get that last yard? But they wouldn't have. You've got to call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've got to call this game fair and square. That was a penalty that was not called. And look, it could have made a difference in the outcome of the game. Uh, probably would have made a difference in the outcome of the game. But, I I mean, when I watched that this morning, I just said, that's that's a miss. That's an absolute miss. Oh, the crowd definitely thought it was a miss because
1: they were chanting that one-word, two-syllable phrase that uh, we always love to hear in the background on TV. That can't be bleeped on live TV. But they were not happy. And then there was the fourth-and-goal play, which was like razor-thin, almost a touchdown, where... Darnell Mooney has the ball. He's got it in the end zone, but it gets jostled out, and then he secures it finally, falling out of bounds. And it's just short. This is where replay review can be very effective because it's obvious when he does finally have possession, none of the ball is touching any of the goal line. That's how close these games can be at some point. And, you know, that may be the difference between the Bears or the Commanders maybe making a late playoff run, winning or losing that game. And it's a shame. As hard as Justin Fields played last night, all the abuse he took physically to have it come down to that, I really felt for him. I was not just because I picked the Bears and Sims picked the Commanders. I really felt for Justin Fields, and I was hoping the Bears would pull that one out. And that's just how close it can be sometimes.
0: Mike, I doubt sincerely that's going to be the difference between either of these teams making a late playoff run. (laughs) However, you want every game to be adjudicated fairly. That play on the goal line was how close these two teams are. Uh, Because look, whoever won this game last night, no one was going to be surprised because they're both steeped in mediocrity. But you do want the right team to win. You do want the team to win that deserves to win and the team that should lose, should lose. But it was so close last night. That that play at the goal line, I thought was, was you know, the right call was made. But, you know, the interference non-call in the end zone, you know, on Dante Pettis was just, that was brutal. It was just, it was incorrect. I don't know how the back judge on that play is not going to get a downgrade from the NFL when the grades come out on Tuesday.
1: And again, we don't know that the Bears would have scored, but first and goal from the one with enough time to run a few plays. And and I know when you don't have any timeouts and you're in that goal-to-go situation, you don't want to get tackled in bounds. But it would have been nice to see Justin Fields try to make something happen with his legs. And I didn't notice a lot of designed runs last night i saw richard sherman tweet about this have some designed runs with a guy like justin fields it can't all be well just run it when you don't have anybody open how much more effective could it be if they drew up some plays where maybe you spring justin fields and let him do his thing because he is phenomenally talented when it comes to running with the football and it can't always be something that happens in a scramble type of a situation If he's that effective when it's just him running around making guys miss, how much better could it be if they design the blocking and the flow of the play to give him an opportunity to burst through an opening, get to the second level, and then start making guys miss? So I'm surprised that we don't see more of that because he is a very potent weapon when he decides to run the football, Peter.
0: Mike, more and more in the NFL, I think you're seeing offensive coaches get wise to the fact that not only on broken plays, but on design plays, can your quarterback be a great asset in the running game? It isn't only Lamar Jackson, you know, who most weeks leads his team in rushing, but last night it was Justin Fields all on compromised plays. He led the entire game in rushing. You know, he had more rushing yards than all the backs in the game. And and look, we're going to see a great game this weekend, Kansas City and Buffalo. In the four games that Josh Allen has played against Kansas City in his career, he's been the leading rusher for the Bills in every game. So I think that more and more we're seeing it's kind of the anti-Brady Manning thing. You know, that look at this. Look at what a threat this is against the defense. And so to me, you know, I, I think more and more you're going to see the legs of a quarterback be viewed as a big positive rather than as just something you want to neutralize because you want your quarterback to last 15 years instead of 11. If you're averaging
1: 7.0 yards per pass and 7.3 yards per rush, the running needs to be featured a little more prominently than when it was, and it can't just be something that the guy does when all of his receivers are covered. Here's Justin Fields after last night's game. He gets a little extra time to get ready for the next one. Here's how he is, how he's feeling in the aftermath of last night's game.
0: I'm hurrying. You know hurting pretty good but um we got a long weekend so
1: i'll have some extra time to heal up my shoulder my left shoulder um hurted a while back so it just kind of re-aggravated it so i was just trying to keep the uh muscles you know activating just just keep it moving everybody's feeling this way everybody's mad i mean nobody's happy about his loss um uh, you know uh it's just we always get told that we're almost there we're almost there like me, personally, I'm tired of being almost there. I'm tired of being, you know, just just this close. Uh, I feel like I've been hearing it for so long now. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, all you can do is get back to work. One of the worst things about playing on Thursday night from a fan's perspective is your team can lose two games four days apart and have their season turned upside down, which is exactly what happened to the Bears. And they had the Vikings beaten in the fourth quarter, coming back from 21-3 down to go up 22-21. And then they were driving to tie it when Cameron Dantzler ripped the ball away from Amir Smith-Marset. And then last night could have won. I mean, agonizing if you're a Bears fan about what's gone on since last Sunday morning when you're thinking, hey, we're 2-2. Two two. We aren't and supposed to be 2-2. Two and two. Maybe we'll be 4-2 and two by Friday morning, and now they're 2-4. and four. And they could have won, Peter, and arguably should have won both of those games, especially last night's game.
0: I mean, and now you look at it where you're at New England, you're at Dallas, and you got Miami. Um, I mean, it's hard to imagine that they're going to be able to be over 500 at any point this year, Mike. Um, And look, I think when you have a new offense with Luke Getze, I mean, look, you... When you talk to Aaron Rodgers about Luke Getze, that's one of his favorite guys who's ever coached him. And so I think you've just got to give this time, and you've just got to probably, you know, watch a little bit more tape than maybe normal with Justin Fields. And you've got to watch that tape, and you've got to show him exactly what we all saw last night. Two or three different times. Missing the receiver who was open enough, who you've got to try to hit. And, and so those are the things that I think, uh, and it, look, it's tough to lose these games as agonizingly as the Bears have lost them. But on the other hand, you'd say, well, maybe it wouldn't be so agonizingly close and low scoring if the quarterback had made more plays with his arm. And that's a fact. So I think that is what has to improve now with the Bears and with Justin Fields. Meanwhile, Washington avoids falling to one and five. They are two and
1: four. What a different feeling that record has. It gets no easier for them, though. They've got the Packers, the Colts, the Vikings, and the Eagles the next four weeks. But at least they get a win. Carson Wentz, 7-0 and on Thursday night. He is Mr. Short Week, Peter King. He got it done, and he did just enough to help that team get to where it needed to be. Now it's nice to get a gift inside the ten yard line when Vilas Jones has a punt bounce off of his face because he stumbled and fell just as the ball was coming in. I felt awful for the rookie, even though he's about twenty-eight years old. I think still he's a rookie, and that that allowed. You know they thought I, I didn't. I never thought they were going for it on fourth and short. They lined up to try to get the Bears to jump offside. It was clear with about 10 seconds left on the play clock. They had no interest in actually going for it. And this is one of those situations where when you when you run the numbers from the analytics, punt versus go for it, you factor in the possibility of a muffed punt. And that's exactly what happens. You get the short yard uh, goal to go situation. And Brian Robinson, his first career touchdown, 60 yards rushing for him in his second game after being shot through the knee, shot through the knee, somehow shot through the knee and no bone cartilage or ligament damage what else is there in your knee and he's playing less than two months after that and scoring his first NFL touchdown to
0: give the commanders their winning points Peter you know I think the great story last night for Washington is that they won the game and Brian Robinson ended up being the hero and you know, his story is incredible, even if it didn't include what happened on the attempted carjacking 47 days ago or whatever. You know, his story's incredible because he was never a number one back until all the other backs left town in, in Alabama. He stayed home to play for the hometown university in Tuscaloosa. And he never really got the kind of chance that he wishes that he did, obviously. But he had no regrets. He knows that playing for Nick Saban is going to advance his NFL dreams. And now you look at it, even though every yard last night was an absolute, you know, Texas death match, you know, to get. Um, he still was able to get the one yard that was most needed in this game to put Washington ahead, and they never lost the lead. So that is. The, the sort of the cool end of story that Washington wins the game. Robinson is the hero, scores the touchdown to win it. But man, is that a flawed offensive team? Woo. And, you know, I, I thought it was interesting after the game when Ron Rivera launched this major defense of Carson Wentz and basically said it was not Dan Snyder who, you know, it, it basically, it, it, you know, came down and said... I want you to trade for Carson Wentz. It was the football organization that was working on Carson Wentz and went to Dan Snyder and said, listen, we have a chance to get Carson Wentz. We're, we're going to go get him. So I do think that everyone in Washington these days seems to be very much on edge. But last night there was one salve for that night, and that was Brian Robinson.
1: Yeah, that is the one piece of good news that a dysfunctional organization can rally around. And you mentioned the Ron Rivera reaction and the comment that sparked all of this yesterday came from the ESPN report that was aimed at demonstrating all of the issues surrounding Daniel Snyder. And that nugget focused on the fact that even though Snyder is on the NFL's version of double secret probation, he still was involved in violation of the terms of his unofficial suspension in communicating with and working with his football people to consummate the Carson Wentz deal. And the word that was used in the article was he implored them to do it. And you combine that, Peter, I think, with the misstep that Ron Rivera had on Monday – when he was asked, what's the difference between your team and the other three teams in the division? And he said quarterback. And then the next day he had to backtrack. It's been a tumultuous week for him as it relates to his relationship with Carson Wentz. So after the game last night, as you mentioned, Ron Rivera not reacting favorably to questions about Snyder and Wentz and him. Here it is.
0: No, what's important is these guys, okay? For the last couple of weeks, honestly, I'm going I'm to speak my mind for a second. For Honestly, uh, it's been hard. It really has. You lose four games in a row, and everybody wants to get you, you know, just get on you. And they've played their asses off. They have. they play their asses off for everybody. They come out, and they show up. They work hard, all right? They don't complain, okay? They hear all this stuff, and they've got to deal with it. I get that, and I respect them for that because they're resilient. They come back. Everybody keeps wanting to say, I didn't want anything to do with Carson. Well, I'm the guy that pulled out the sheets of paper, that looked at the analytics, that watched the tape in the fricking when we were at Indianapolis, okay? And that's what pisses me off because a young man doesn't deserve to have that all the time. I'm sorry. I'm done.
1: And that was Ron Rivera's post-game press conference. You rarely see a coach nowadays launch into that kind of a tirade. In fact, I can't really remember it since Dennis Greens, they are who we thought they were 16 years ago, even dropping the BS bomb on everyone. Now, there's a video out there from years ago where Jerry Burns, then the Vikings coach, probably uses 40 F-words in a post-game press conference, which is just magical when you consider today that doesn't happen. But Ron Rivera had had enough. And, hey, look, he's back in Chicago, Peter. It's where he played. He, He got pushed overboard when he was defensive coordinator there an emotional night for him to get that win to get to two and four but what do you expect it's it's the the biggest story regarding the team it's one of the biggest stories in the sport for a team that we otherwise would be ignoring the Wentz factor the Snyder factor of course he's going to be asked about it right after the game in his first media availability since he's the one who made the comment about quarterback is the reason why. They're in last place, well behind the other three teams in their division.
0: Well, Mike, you know, as far as the ESPN story goes, a very well-sourced, well-reported story. Um, I think, you know, there's two points to make about this story as a whole. Number one, there's a lot of smoke there. Without any question, there's a lot of smoke there. Maybe you could point to one or two of the allegations in the story and say, oh, they're reaching or, or uh, you know, I'm not buying that or whatever. But let's face it, right now, it is Dan Snyder faced off against the National Football League. And I guess my second point would be, you know, this is a man, Daniel Snyder, who when he bought the franchise a little over two decades ago, he talked about the immense love he had for this franchise, how he loved it and how he became a huge fan and and everything about it the Joe Gibbs, Bobby Bethard, Jack Kent Cook days, the the wonderful competitiveness, the 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 how tough a a home field RFK stadium was, everything. It was all love. And what has Daniel Snyder done? What has his regime done essentially? He's run the franchise into the ground so that now the most interesting part of the story to me, Mike, was the part of it where you're talking about how it's an Eagles home game when the Eagles played at Washington recently. And, and, and yet the ticket sellers, the business side people, you know, in Washington are saying, hey, we did our job, we sold the tickets. You know, and 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 so that is what that's what it's come down to. The franchise is so downtrodden that you're okay when some other franchise comes to your city and puts whatever it was, thirty or thirty-five thousand people in the seats to cheer for the visiting team, which is what happens anytime the Cowboys play there now or the Eagles less with the Giants because they've been so bad recently, but who knows about now. But I guess I would just make this overriding point. Daniel Snyder, if you love this franchise so much, if you truly want to see greatness with this franchise, stop being the most selfish person in the District of Columbia and in the area right now. Because what you're doing is you're preventing this franchise from healing, moving on, and getting a fresh start. Sell the team. Sell the team. You know, don't be selfish anymore if you truly love this franchise.
1: Yeah, I think he's incapable of ever even relating to the point that way. And the point you made about going to FedEx Field to root for the visiting team, my son, huge Vikings fan. He went up to a Steelers-Vikings game four or five years ago. I said, don't wear anything Vikings-related. Don't wear anything purple. Don't even carry a plum around in your pocket. Nothing purple on you when you go to this game. He's talking about going to the game in Washington. It's like, deck yourself out. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No one's going to say boo to you there. You're probably going to find more like-minded individuals in that stadium than you will Commanders fans, and that's just the way it is right now. The big news out of that story from yesterday was at the very top. You know, a lot of times, Peter, in these 10,000-word articles that I really don't think anybody reads all the way through, but they act like they do, was the idea that Snyder is carrying around dirt on other owners and on Commissioner Roger Goodell that is his leverage against being pushed out. And I've been saying more speculative than than based on anything real, but it's kind of informed, educated. We see what he's done with others. We see how ruthless he can be. People believe he's the one who leaked the John Gruden emails, not the league office, not anyone else but him, and obviously he had possession of them, and I'm not saying he did leak them. Please, I don't want to get sued on a Friday morning or any morning, afternoon, or evening for that matter, but there are people in the league who believe he leaked them. That's a great warning shot to anyone who may want to mess with him. That's the big takeaway for me. And that's why they haven't pushed him out. That's why they haven't had a vote. That's why no votes on the agenda next week. They're trying to find some other way for him to be removed from this mix. And I think they're hoping that the House Oversight Committee releases something that is sufficiently strong and negative that sparks a groundswell that makes it a natural occurrence like what happened with Robert Sarver i think is his name the former Phoenix Suns yeah. owner they the, the the NBA imposed a significant punishment on him released some facts unlike the NFL which has released no facts about Daniel Snyder dating back to July 1 of 2021 and then nature kind of took its course i think they're waiting for some moment that causes nature to take its course and they hope that the laws of that specific nature will apply to Daniel Snyder, and it just becomes a natural outcome that he sells
0: the team. I think that's what they're hoping for. You know, it's clear right now that something is holding up this process of reckoning for Daniel Snyder. Whether or not he'd be forced to sell the team, you know, one of the other parts of this story, Mike, that I think you noticed, Seth Wickersham was all over ESPN talking about it yesterday, and I think it's fascinating. It's fascinating. That the NFL almost always gives owners who are building new stadiums a break financially. They allow them maybe to borrow a little bit more money than, than is allowed under league strictures. But in this particular case, they think maybe that the way to really get to Dan Snyder is to not allow him to go beyond any of the financial strictures that are in place to prevent owners from borrowing too much money and to be in hock too much when they build a stadium. And their, their hope is that if they, don't, if they do this, that Snyder clearly won't be able to build a stadium. But I think when I was hearing that yesterday, I just thought how hilarious that was. You know why? No entity in the greater Washington area is going to give Daniel Snyder any sort of break You know, in building a stadium in their municipalities, in their states, in their districts, for a very simple reason. They understand how disastrously flawed he is as the runner of a franchise. So it isn't like, for instance, if you know, if, if the if the Green Bay Packers suddenly had to build a new stadium tomorrow, you know, if Lambeau Field was you know was you know disintegrating, you know how many places in Wisconsin would step up and say, "Oh, we'll give you this break, we'll give you that break, we'll give whatever, just come here." You know, they they prostrate them prostrate themselves to you know to to basically say, "You do whatever you want, we just want the Packers here." And, and it, there's almost like right now, uh, the Washington franchise has a repellent around it. And, and that's why I think this is going to be so difficult. They keep saying that they need a new stadium. FedEx Field stinks. I get it because FedEx Field does stink. But whatever the deal is, you know, who is going to help Daniel Snyder now build the stadium? So they're hoping that the combination of the fact that nobody wants Snyder's stadium and that he's not going to get any financial help from the league, that maybe that pushes him over the top. In Green Bay, all you got to do is pass the
1: hat. Give, give everyone a piece of paper that says you're a yeah, part owner yeah. of the team, even if you're not, and you get all the money that you need. In Washington, you're right. That's never going to happen. I, I'm far more dubious than you are, though, about the idea that the NFL isn't going to help Snyder. I think, it, as you said, it doesn't matter if the NFL helps him or not because nobody else is going to help him. But it wasn't that long ago that the NFL relaxed its its loan cap for Snyder so he could buy out his three limited partners who couldn't wait to get out from well, what under has happened since his then? control. Well, but Peter, that was all at the same time. That was all. Listen, they could have dealt with him July of 2021, and somebody decided. Not to. Somebody decided after all that money they paid to attorney Beth Wilkinson to investigate the situation for 10 months to not ask her to provide a written report with written recommendations. Because as 106.7 The Fan initially reported in D.C. and as we confirmed back in February, if she had been asked to reduce her recommendations to writing, one of the recommendations would have been require him to sell the team somebody gave him a pass July 2021 so in my mind something has to change between then which wasn't all that long ago and now to get the league in the mood to do something and there's been reporting that some owners are starting to get there but until 24 do you can't go after him and you have to be ready for him to fight you in every court that he could possibly muster a colorable legal claim. And you've got to be ready for him to pull the pin on his dirt grenade, if he has one. Everything he has about anyone that he can take down with him. And I don't know that they're ready for that. So that's why I think they're looking for some other natural, organic way that he decides I'm going to sell. And maybe it is, I can't find anybody to sell me land. I can't find it. Now he does have some land purchased there or something like that. You hear different stories about where it all stands, but I can't muster the governmental assistance that others would easily get. So that's what's going to cause me to sell the team. But I don't know where the end game is here. And I don't think the league knows where it is because they don't want to force the end game because that's when he becomes dangerous, backed into a corner, lashes out, drops the dirt that he has on others whether it's real, whether it's imagined or somewhere in between, nobody wants to mess with that. And, and so we're kind of at this weird impasse where the situation continues. And is it
0: sustainable? I don't know. They've managed to sustain it for well over a year. Mike, you know what I was thinking of yesterday reading this story? I was thinking that, okay, it looks like the NFL just wants to passively let this thing go. And does not want to force anything to happen uh, because for whatever reason, if it is, as the ESPN story claims, because they fear um, Daniel Snyder going nuclear legally and in the public arena, maybe that is it. It kind of reminded me of what happened with the Golden State Warriors and Draymond Green even though you and I are probably the last to be fans of the NBA for no other reason than can we have a life other than football? And <laughs> me, I mean, I kind of like baseball, but, but so we don't know that much about the NBA, but we do know that TMZ had Draymond green dropping one of his teammates with an incredibly lead fist of a punch. Uh, in the middle of practice. Who does that to a teammate? Drops them to the floor with a gigantic punch in the middle of practice. And then Steve what Smith did the Warriors do Price. on Monday of this week? They did nothing. They did nothing. They suspended a guy. They would not suspend a guy, but they find him. And here's a guy who, in his career, has made $155 million what exactly does a fine mean unless you're going to fine him 106 million dollars what really does a fine of pick a number 500,000 what does that mean to Draymond Green you know and so i thought that the golden state warriors are fearful for some reason of suspending draymond green okay whatever that reason is i don't know i don't cover the team but they have some fear about suspending him. What would it do to keep team chemistry? Whatever. In the same way, you know, I think the NFL has some fear with having a public reckoning with Daniel Snyder, which quite honestly should happen Tuesday at the one-day league meeting in New York. There should be some sort of moment in that meeting where we say, listen, there's an elephant in the room. His name is Daniel Snyder. Let's discuss it. And maybe you have to discuss it being very careful legally about what to do about it. But it's got to, they've got to come, this has got to come to a head at some point. Because it's really damaging to the brand. And Mike, the other thing that I keep saying, I've said it on this show. Okay, when I was very young in this business and I was covering the New York Giants in the 80s, I thought that, when I first went to RFK Stadium for uh, a game between New York and Washington, and it was a close game in the second half, and all of a sudden the earth started moving, and the press box that I started going up and down I'm talking about six or eight inches. That you, if you were walking in the press box, you had to hold on, you know, and, and, and so I'll never forget thinking, man. This is a big, big deal. These games are gigantic. These games are the pinnacle of this sport. And now what has happened in the intervening 35 years? I'll tell you what has happened. An owner bought the team. He ran the franchise into the ground. And nobody, nobody feels good about this franchise. Not a soul. And that's why I think somehow, someway... You know, somebody has got to force this situation to a conclusion. And the rightful conclusion is that he be made to sell the team. Now, can it happen legally? Probably not, at least right now. And that is why this current investigation by the league, I think, is so important. And if there are significant uh, ills in Mary Joe White's that she discovers in her investigation of the culture of the toxic culture of this franchise, then serious uh, things need to happen. And I think, depending on what she finds, uh, I I think that is really going to be the next step in the NFL doing what it really wants to do, and that's to get this franchise out of the hands of Daniel Snyder.
1: The key question is whether they let Mary Jo White reduce it all to writing and whether they... Tell us what Dan Snyder did or bury it shamefully like they did with the Beth Wilkinson investigation. And they sold us this bill of goods that, well, we can't share any of the details because some of the individuals requested anonymity. And there's no way we can share anything about this without violating that request, which is the word that the Bears fans were chanting last night after Dante Pettis did not draw A penalty flag for pass interference on third and goal. One last point very quickly. This is something we've mentioned many times over the last year and a half. Dan Snyder is determined to give the team to his kids. That's why his heels are dug in. This just isn't petulant five-year-old temper tantrum. He wants to give the team to his kids. And we've suggested months ago, and last night Michael Smith mentioned this on the pregame, the possibility of compromise that has Dan Snyder stand down and his kids get the team. I've suggested his wife be the bridge to the kids getting the team. But, Peter, I just can't help but wonder, is this a situation where the NFL just wants anyone named Snyder out, gone, forever? We don't want the kids. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and I, I feel I, I, I shouldn't say that because we don't know. We don't know anything about the kids. I don't even know their names. But I just feel like that ship has sailed. Maybe it would have been a possibility at some point. But I feel like right now the push against Snyder is a push against the entire Snyder family, and they don't want him involved directly or indirectly because if he's even indirectly in the building or in the vicinity of it, he's going to find a way to keep his imprint on the team.
0: What prevents Daniel Snyder from every day having a conversation with his wife, with his kids, with whoever? What prevent nothing? Absolutely nothing. If I'm a fan of that team, that is that is a one percent improvement. That's all. that That doesn't that doesn't solve anything. That's to me. People who suggest that Tanya Snyder ought to be you know ought to be the the owner of this team. What? Who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? What difference does that make, really? Come on. I mean, this thing has got to be put in the hands of somebody new. Uh, I, I don't I don't care who it is. Fred Smith. I, I don't I, I don't care who it is. This thing's gotta be put in the hands of somebody new, new ideas, a new name, a new day for a franchise that has been ridiculously dragged through the mud for years and years.
1: Let me give you one last thing before we break. It's a personal example and experience that shows how afraid the league is currently of dan snyder now this happened back in may peter but at the league meeting in may the commissioner was asked about dan snyder's status and he said dan snyder is not involved in any way shape or form with the day-to-day operations of the team i'm paraphrasing but that's the strength of the statement that the commissioner made the very next day the washington times reported that snyder is back and has been back in defiance of the mandate that was handed down by Roger Goodell. And I asked the league for comment on that story. And the comment was, well, Roger addressed that yesterday. Oh, yeah, I know he did. But you have a report from The Washington Times that basically is saying Dan Snyder is giving Roger the middle finger. And you don't have a response to that? It just it it illustrates to me that they are tiptoeing on eggshells around this guy. And I don't know who it is that is so afraid of dan snyder that they're paralyzed by whatever it is that he's carrying around in his little folder of dirt that he's going to drop on whoever whenever however but it's kept him alive this long at least in his status as owner of the team and we'll see how much longer it keeps him in that spot we have gone on for way too long we're going to take a break we'll have more pft live presented by google pixel right after this